If you're a fan of this podcast and want to see it continue, help support us on Patreon, where you can unlock tons of exclusive content, including, but not limited to, movie commentaries, ad-free versions of our promo specials, extended cuts, early access to new episodes, behind-the-scenes clips, first access to merchandise, blooper reels, and even a chance to vote on what we cover next on our podcaster's disassembled episodes. Just head right on over to patreon.com slash podcastersassemble. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash podcastersassemble. Link in the show notes. After a six-year hiatus, director Martin Campbell relaunched the Bond series in 1995 with the explosive debut of Pierce Bronson as the international secret agent. Following the fall of the Soviet Union and the death of his old partner, 006, James Bond finds himself being stalked by a ghost from his past with plans for world domination. Welcome to GoldenEye. Good evening, 003. The following is for your ears only and is classified above top secret by Her Majesty's Secret Service. Our contact meant that we can make this work, probably, Podcast Network intercepted an encrypted audio message regarding podcasters assembled. For this season, the Podcast Network is looking to recruit field operatives from around the world to reminisce about the Bond movies and a countdown to the latest film in the franchise, No Time to Die. Your primary objective is to infiltrate podcasters assembled by recording and uploading your submissions at probablywork.com. Utilizing a two-way communications device with a built-in microphone, the latest from QBranch. For a full mission report, go to probablywork.com. We're all counting on you, 003. Assemble. Podcasters assemble. Hello, my name is Ben Thompson. I am from badassoftheweek.com. Eric Slater here from Epic Fails of History and Too Young for this trek. Yo, this is Corey Torgerson from the upcoming podcast, The World is My Burrito. This is Chris from the Comic Zombie Podcast. This is Troidal Power. This is MC. From the best animated shows ever. So far. This is Justin Aki, graphic designer and one half of Significant Otterco. This is Megan Aki, the other half of Significant Otterco. My name is Bill. I'm from Bill's JRPG Adventures. And today... We are talking about GoldenEye. Finally. Spoiler alert. 1995's GoldenEye is the 17th Bond film and the debut of Pierce Bronson as 007. It's the first Bond movie to not use any elements of Ian Fleming's works beyond the main characters. The title is actually referenced to the GoldenEye estate in Jamaica, where Ian Fleming wrote the Bond novels. It is the 17th Bond movie, it is the first starring Pierce Brosnan, and it is the first not based off of an original Ian Fleming story, which makes sense because he's been dead for like 30 years at this point, um, although it is named after his beach house in Jamaica where he wrote all of the James Bond stories. Operation GoldenEye was also a code name for a real-life contingency plan for a Nazi invasion of Spain during World War II that Fleming worked on while serving in the British intelligence. Finally, we're here, Pierce Brosnan. Today, I'm talking about Goldeneye. Finally, finally, we reach the modern era of James Bond. Ah, yes, we have entered the era of Pierce Brosnan. For many, this will be their favorite or most well-known Bond movie. 
GoldenEye is easily one of my favorite Bond movies. So we are officially doing Martin Campbell's GoldenEye, the first Bond film with Mr. Pierce Brosnan in the role. For most of the series, I have been the James Bond newbie, but with Pierce, he's my man. I grew up with him. He is my James Bond. First, we have a new Bond, Mr. Remington Steele himself, Mr. Thomas Crown, Mr. Dante's Peak. Wait, no, his name was Harry in that movie. But we finally get Pierce Brosnan. Replacing uh, the too soonly departed Timothy Dalton. Not that he's deceased or anything. As an actor, Pierce Brosnan always plays an effortlessly cool and suave character. And to me, that is what I think of when I think of James Bond. He was my Bond when I grew up, you know? He was the Bond that was big and new and current. Pierce Bronson might not be my favorite Bond, but this entry really captures the best aspects of the franchise as a whole. Maybe it's the piercing look that he gives little boyish smirk or just the way he delivers like a snarky line with a straight face. Taking a bit of the suave back from Sean Connery, some of the one-liners from Roger Moore, none of the tortured seriousness of Timothy Dalton. All in all, a great Bond. All these characteristics kind of embody James Bond. This is the first one with Judy Dench's M. There's some gadgets. Bond this time is going up against a shady criminal organization. With a good supporting cast that comes back in subsequent movies, as the same actors, too, so that's fun. GoldenEye is definitely one of my favorite Bond films. I think it's probably one of everyone's favorite Bond films. And a good return to the series after a six-year hiatus. It does a really nice job of kind of blending the traditional elements of a Bond movie with kind of more modern sensibilities and a more modern storytelling sensibility. Forget even the companion video games. This movie was fast-paced and a monster when it came out in 1995. This was my first Bond movie. But what's weird is... I didn't see this movie when it came out. I mean, I was I was just a wee lad when this movie came out. As a kid, I used to actually get it mixed up with uh, Mission Impossible, which I think came out around the same time. And James Bond to me was a thing that existed on television because we watched James Bond marathons at Thanksgiving and at Christmas. It wasn't until I played the GoldenEye video game that I really fell in love with Bond. So I actually played GoldenEye the video game before I saw GoldenEye the movie. But that doesn't mean I don't love this movie. But as a kid, this was one of those movies that I rewatched on VHS like all the time. Uh, <laughs> I had this rotation of the Star Wars trilogy, Jurassic Park, Mortal Kombat, Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, GoldenEye, and the original Star Trek movies. Now there's one pass you have to give this movie right off the bat. It was the 90s. We were experimenting. Everybody was in an experimental phase when it came to music. And the soundtrack for this is horrible, industrial, grindy garbage. Unless you play the video game a lot. In which case you love this soundtrack because it just sounds like the video game. So I'm just really glad that Pierce is here. Yay, GoldenEye! Let's start off from the beginning. So the cold open in this movie, it's a flashback sequence. The movie opens up nine years before the main plot. At the beginning of the movie, we get this really awesome cold open. With Bond infiltrating the Russian base on a hydroelectric dam. Bond in this movie is cool right away. The beginning of this intro is tight. He's running across that dam and then he just dives off of it in this epic bungee jump. Bond starts by basically bungee jumping off of a giant dam. And then uses this cool grappling line to quietly pull himself to the, like, the base of it. But the whole sequence, it opens with this shot of a dam and Bond actually leaps off and does like a bungee jump 
off the side of this dam, which I want to say is the Hoover Dam, but it's supposed to be in Russia, so I don't know if it's actually a dam or... It starts off with this amazing 722-foot bungee jump off of a dam. The movie continues with Bond swan diving off the dam, attached to a bungee cord, then shooting a pinton into the ground, lowering himself. Where the stuntman, like, does the jump, and at the bottom of the bungee jump, after the cord starts to be pulled, he reaches into his vest, pulls out a gun, and aims it just before he drops behind a rock, and it's such a cool-looking stunt. But at no point in time does this person even slightly look like Pierce Brosnan. Like, it definitely, the hair definitely looks like Timothy Dalton when he's just running atop the dam. None of that looks like Brosnan. But I do like that everything is kind of kept in shadow, so it's like, oh, who's the new Bond? There really is no graceful way to get off a bungee. Then he uses a grappling hook, then he uses a laser. We've got cool action like Timothy Dalton had combined with the gadgets of Roger Moore all smushed into one in only the opening 30 seconds of this movie. It tells you what it's gonna be and what it's gonna be is great. First time we see Pierce Brosnan, he is punching a Russian in the face while he's taking a dump. Then of course, you gotta have jokes, right? It's not James Bond without jokes and literally Pierce Brosnan's first line as James Bond is a bathroom joke. By the way, the game is pretty accurate to this point, as Bond finds himself in the bathroom. Because he sneaks into a bathroom. And then sneaks in through the air ducts into the bathroom. But I'm pretty sure I had more four dudes in that bathroom anyway. And he's in the stall with a guard, and the guard like looks at him like, Bruh? and he goes, hmm, forgot to knock, and then knocks him the hell out. Hell yeah, James Bond. Right off the bat, we're like five seconds into this movie. We've got cool gadgets. We've got an amazing stunt, a good joke, a badass intro, the gun barrel scene, like some kind of epic hero shot of James Bond. He looks the part, he acts the part, he's great, and I love it already. But the, the whole opening of this movie is clever for a couple of reasons. First of all, it shows Bond being a total badass. He, he, he's like a special ops agent, but like the way he moves, his tactics and everything, he, he looks like a professional. Regardless, Bond sneaks through the base, catching it with 006, Alec Trevelyan. Ah, uh, Alec Trevelyan. Alec, Alec Trevelyan? Trevelyan? I can never say his last name. 006, here he is, Alec. Uh, good friend of James Bond. They're quipping at each other. We see that the quips are like a double O thing. And uh, he meets up with 006, and they start planting some charges in like a Russian chemical plant, pre-fall of the Soviet Union. They're like making jokes back and forth. Bond links up with 006. Lord knows how he got there. In a Connery movie, this whole build up would have taken like 20 minutes and we're at like minute three here and i love the idea of the other double o agents running around doing other badass things um we've seen a couple of them in the living daylights but they were not impressive and so to see bond and double o six out here like kicking ass and like you know infiltrating this russian base is really cool at one point bond tells him uh or alex just says it's closing time and Bond responds, buy me a pint. Now, I have seen this movie a few times, but every time Sean Bean appears, I think, for the love of God, maybe this time he'll be Bond. He's not. It's this mission in Russia with 006. Uh, Alex Trevelyan, played by Sean Bean. Sean Bean's uh, Alec Trevelyan. Alec Trevelyan, uh, who was 006. They sneak in, set off the alarm, there's a badass shootout, um, and I love the way that they're working together, where like both 006 and 007 have that James Bond feel to them. Sean Bean is great in this role, like, I like that you feel like these guys have known each other forever, they're kind of having fun, they're joking around, they're quipping, they're fighting these guys, but what they're doing is like, also pretty hardcore. And then another time, shut the door, Alec, there's a draft. 
and and Alec doesn't respond, and that's when Bond realizes, oh no, he's been captured by the evil Russian general. Trevelyan apparently gets captured, and with a gun to his head, tells James to finish the job. As always, there are some stellar single shots in this film. Uh, when Colonel Orobov is holding a gun to 006's head, um, that is just so cool they do like the close-up of Oromov, the close-up of 006 uh bond stepping out and then it just kind of opens up and there's just this powerful scene right there james resets the timer on the bombs for a few minutes earlier trevelyan gets shot apparently point blank in the head and the better bond just got shot but they're caught and alex is shot in the face and of course in one of the first scenes with him sean bean is killed so sean bean dies seven minutes into this movie i think that's a new record or at least that's what we're led to think. And then James comes up with like the most batshit crazy escape. It's super awesome. And here we get great moment because there's there's this room's full of Russian soldiers. How's Bond gonna get out of this? And then when Bond tries to leave, the soldiers have to hold their fire or they might blow up some nerve gas. Except one guy. He screws up and he gets shot in the face as well. Well, all the tanks in here are gas tanks, and there's a rack on wheels full of gas tanks. And so Bond just walks very slowly across the room behind this rack of gas tanks. When Ormov is like, don't shoot the gas tanks, Bond is like, okay, I'm going to use the gas tanks as cover. That's great. And I love this scene. It's so funny with Ormov looking at him like he's a moron, all the Russians just training their guns on him as he moves, and the only sound is like the one squeaky wheel on this thing as as Bond is like dragging this cart of explosives across the room. And it's the slowest escape scene ever that leads into the fastest escape scene ever. Past this point, the movie starts to follow hero rules because Bond ends up with like 100 rounds in his gun. And, you know, there's lots of uh, shooting and explosions and... And culminates with Bond using a motorcycle to catch up to a tiny plane taking off. There's a plane taking off on this runway and he's getting chased by the bad guy. So he chases uh, he's chasing the plane down. My favorite Bond moment um, is actually after the cold opening, the explosion's about to go off. He gets in, beats the crap out of this poor pilot and tries to throw him out. Uh, but the pilot like drags him with him. Bond runs to a plane, knocks out the driver, fights with him a little bit. They both fall out of the airplane, so Bond has to steal a motorcycle, chase the airplane to the end of the runway. Thankfully, their wreck also wrecks a motorcycle, so James steals the motorcycle, chases the plane down that's now fallen off the mountain edge runway. He he got into the plane, he's pulled the pilot out of the plane, he fell out of the plane with the pilot, he's picked up a motorbike, and he starts chasing down the plane that's still running down the along this runway there's a cliff the plane goes over the cliff he follows it jumps off the bike free falls then jump the motorcycle off the cliff jumps off the motorcycle in midair and then like glides to the plane gets into the plane skydive down to the plane board it mid-flight and flies off in the plane climbs in the open door and then pulls the plane out of an impossible nosedive and flies to relative safety pull it out of the dive just in time before it hits a mountain and explodes okay so this like leap off the cliffside air dive into the plane is absurd but this is like a really solid start to this movie a lot of this was a real practical stunt there was a dude who like ramped a motorcycle off a cliff and then skydived towards an airplane and i think it's great we're 10 minutes into this movie uh bond is flying an airplane over a, like a huge exploding base and uh this is like some of the best bond stuff that we've seen probably ever where james bond chases down an airplane gets knocked out of the airplane steals a motorcycle, rides it off the end of the runway, eventually boarding, throwing out the pilot, and pulling up from almost crashing into the ground at the last minute. Skydives into the airplane, gets into it, takes control, and takes off into the title credits. 
That was pretty epic. Bond hijacks a plane and then barely manages to pull the nose up in time and clear a mountain. It's pretty freaking awesome. It's one of my favorite cold opens in a Bond movie. It's just incredible and nuts all at the same time. Uh, it's it's a great balance between super lame and really impressive. And it's a really good opener. Hell yeah, James Bond. Uh, so right away, this feels like a solid reboot of the series. I mean, he's he's obviously a lot younger, but also this is, I think, one of the first times where the cold open actually has a lot to do with the main plot. And it kind of feels like a separate mission initially until later in the movie when it's revealed that, spoilers, uh, 006 is still alive. This leads into the opening credits. This, my friends, is for you. Or the edge. The first few notes of the intro, did anyone else get the feeling that this was uh, Hit Me Baby One More Time? And after a quick internet search, uh, that song actually came out three years after this movie. Give it to me, Tina. The credits, they are great, and they are pretty creepy. See reflections on the water, more than darkness in the depths. See him surface and never a shadow. On the wind, I feel his breath. So you got the uh, the title sequence with Tina Turner. All right, the song is Goldeneye, the intro, Goldeneye by Tina Turner. She does an amazing job. You uh, 2 wrote this song after Bono stayed at the Goldeneye house that uh, that Ian Fleming owned. And I love the visuals that go with the song. Uh, and then, of course, we get our obligatory nonsense, naked girls writhing around for no reason while some crappy song plays for approximately 17 hours. It's kind of a typical Bond opening, but they've got this really cool, like, Soviet symbolism with CGI and live-action naked girls destroying monuments of communism, but the song is meh. Kind of echoes what's uh, going on both in the movie later on, but also what's going on in the real world, the fall of the Berlin Wall and, you know, the collapse of the Soviet Union. The intro sequence is just like guns, naked chicks, and Soviet iconography. I was 15 when this movie came out, and it was just basically like everything that I was all about at the time, So, and I guess still am. So, uh, yeah, I'm in. I love this. I don't think Tina Turner should have ever done this song. It's almost a holdover from when they were doing like the adult movies in the 80s. I did hear that Ace of Base was originally one of the people that were trying to do one of the songs. It was originally supposed to be performed by Ace of Base, which I think might have been a pretty different um, outcome. I mean, that would have been fun. That was been very 90s. Uh, I know that I, I'm not always like in on the songs, but I am all in on this song. This is the first intro in a long time that I can truly say that I like. Even the Dalton ones like I love Aha and Duran Duran but I love them I don't necessarily love them as Bond film intros but Tina Turner like this is sick you'll never know how I watched you from the shadows as a child you'll never know how it feels to get so close and be denied I've always wondered though the lyrics in the Tina Turner song what are they talking about what it what is what is this song about is it about bond is it about 006 is it about the satellite is it supposed to be Natalia it's a little confusing now i've got you in my side 
I'm going to go with satellite. With golden eyes. Golden, golden eyes. With a golden eyes. Golden eyes. Boom! This the golden eye sets the tone for what we are about to experience. It's got that kind of weird, subdued, jazzy, epic sound that I love in a Bond theme. It sounds like Bond stuff. It sounds like spy stuff. It sounds like I mean, I'm I'm all in on this. Uh, this is what all of them should be. And we're into the movie. We cut to Monaco, and there's the Aston Martin DB5 from the 60s, like the old school stuff flying down this mountain road. So we're a few years later, and it opens with one of the most puzzling, confusing, really weird sequences in this movie, uh, really in a lot of Bond movies. I won't say any Bond movie because we just we all know that's a bold-faced lie. I don't love the scene right after the song because, I, I, well, I love the scene because it's James Bond's driving with this woman in the car who's like freaked out by his driving. But uh, Bond is driving in a car with this woman in a really nice Aston Martin. Cut to James Bond tooling around in Monte Carlo. Uh, down this windy road that appears to be in like, you know, the Swiss Alps or France or something like that. And um, out of nowhere, this really, really hot girl drives up in another car and she's racing him and the girl in his car is like oh please don't do this and getting evaluated by mi6 shrink he's like whatever shut up <laughs> but he ends up in a road race with zeno on the top okay so stunt note number two we get real drifting in this movie there's a lot of implied drifting and uh, a lot of the older movies even the sean connery ones but this is legit and then another woman shows up like uh, looking like a dominatrix in a red convertible sports car and starts like having automotive foreplay with James Bond and that's very fun and there's a great line where uh, the, the girl in Bond's car is like I enjoy a spirited ride as much as the next girl and then she looks over and says who the hell is that and Bond goes the next girl which is very good uh, my favorite vehicle is definitely going to be Famke's car uh, the Ferrari F355 GTS. Bond is being evaluated by some woman from MI6 who has been sent to, uh, you know, just check on his prowess. And uh, he sees Jean Grey in a Ferrari and decides, yeah, I'm just going to race her down the mountain. She's driving a Ferrari, which, of course, it's red. Uh, it's this really, like, this really, really long, odd, odd sequence. And it's not helped by one of the most puzzling, head-scratchingly weird music choices I've ever heard. Even if the music was techno-terrible. Uh, for anybody who was brave enough to join us for our commentary track on uh, Never Say Never Again, you know that like one of the things we talked about was none of the music cues fit anything that was happening in the movie. Oh, the music that was playing during the chase scene was terrible. It was like the guy who, you know, the sound director, whoever, music director, was watching a totally different film. And this reminded me of that. Like, it was so bad. But then it turns out that this woman is a psychologist who was assigned to James to evaluate him. And he totally seduces her and has sex with her in his car in order to get out of the evaluation. And that, that sucks. That sucks, Pierce Brosnan. That sucks. There's this huge race, great car car chase, um, a lot of like fun things in between when the bicyclists are coming up and they have to maneuver around the bicyclists and then the bicyclists all fall over anyway. I love that. There's an, an important uh, an important setup 
in the scene where they're driving down the mountainside because there's a bunch of bicyclists riding up the hill and then the two cars come around the corner of the bicycles are like oh no and almost get hit but they all stop and then they look at the cars go by and one bicyclist falls down and then he bumps into all the others and it's like a row of dominoes how did how did those cyclists fall over they were at a dead stop it's important that'll come back later because we don't get to see a bmw perform in the movie i really appreciate the aston martin db5 from the opening chase so i was talking to uh to eric about why that scene is in the movie since it feels very uh unnecessary you know it feels very added on uh, because the very next scene introduces the same character again and i was thinking about it and it's um we were wondering if maybe the scene was requested by like the makers of aston martin you know like the car i, I know that's one of the deals they get is like a sponsorship so the, the film brings in a lot of money by featuring that car uh you know they let them use the car and they pay them to use it so we were wondering if maybe they had shot the movie already or most of the movie and they said we really need you to feature this car the only chase scene you have is super awesome but it's a tank which we'll get to uh and not the aston martin that we gave you so maybe they just felt the need to add this in and maybe second unit did it or something and like second unit edited it i don't know but it's very strange bond eventually stops the race at the request of the shrink but he then opens a compartment in the car and shows her a bottle of his chilled bollinger bond wins the race zinnia on a top spins out and um and then when the the evaluator is like pull over this car right now he pulls it over pops open the center console there's champagne in there toasts her makes out with her and she's really into him so this is like basically the first time this bond is a very non-casual sexual assault movie um and then ends up uh the next scene we just cut immediately to a casino and this is like this is just, you, you packed all the good stuff from a James Bond movie into the first like 12 minutes of this movie. It's awesome. This scene does not need to be in the movie whatsoever. It appears to be just them trying to introduce the fact that the Xenia on the top is a bit of a psycho, played by Famke Janssen uh, about five years prior to X-Men. So, um, you know, we got Jean Grey in here. Oh, snap. I forgot Famke was in a Bond movie. And she is a smoke show. I didn't have her on my list of favorite Bond girls. She's also a psycho. But, uh... That black dress at the Baccarat table convinces me she needs to be there. So we get to the hotel and Xenia is there. Bond plays her in Baccarat, he beats her. Bond ends up in the casino playing Baccarat with on the top, but he's unable to seduce her before she's led away from Bond by a horny Canadian general. She calls him a biatch or whatever that Russian word is that she keeps yelling at him whenever she's mad. It sounds like biatch. Um, um, the next time we meet her, she's at a casino, and it's a much, much, much more interesting scene. Uh, of course, it's a casino, but it's a much more interesting scene between her and James than the really weird vacation-style like, meeting of them the first time. It really doesn't need to be in the movie, and it's far too long. And we're looking at Pierce Brosnan here. He looks good in the tux. We've seen him do the ass-kicking stuff. Now we're seeing him do the, the Bond James Bond line and the shaken not stirred. He's good with the girls. And I'm all in on Pierce Brosnan as James Bond. He is rocking this. We get a hard cut from like a nice, like funny little Bond quip to like a hardcore, like, you know, naked Xenia, like beating up, a, having like combat sex with the Russian Admiral. A um, little bit jarring if you're trying to watch this with your girlfriend, a little bit unexpected and comes out of nowhere. So Xenia just kills this dude with her legs. Who she eventually kills in the most CrossFit way ever, crushing him with her thighs. My favorite henchman is actually Xenia Onia Top. On a top? Yes. Her name is On a Top. That means sex stuff. Such a weird character. She seems to be a bit sadistic. And I was reminded of one of the quick scenes 
in uh, The Living Daylights with Dalton, where they talk about an assassin who kills someone with her legs. But Xenia kills a dude with her thighs, which is pretty awesome. Um, in The Living Daylights, I believe, there was Money Penny was talking to Bond about um, another operative, Soviet operative, who would kill people with her thighs. And she was like, well, she's just your type. Uh, I think that was Living Daylights. Anyway, this is cool. I like it. It's not the same person, and that is such a huge missed opportunity. She enjoys um, killing people, it seems, but um, she's kind of an outlandish character. She is actually the honeypot for the general to get the ID card as well. Bond follows up on her, and it turns out she is part of some crime syndicate, Janice, and tries to stop her from stealing an experimental Tiger helicopter that's apparently impervious to EMPs. When Bond is investigating the boat, I love that he sees the dude coming up on him by looking in like a brass uh, piece of art or uh, something like that, and you can see the reflection of the guy coming up on him from behind. I think that's awesome. And then Bond is like, sees that, knows there's a guy coming behind him, deflects the punch, uh, and takes the guy out. I think that's a really cool touch. So Bond is in one ship, spying on another, and gets caught, and immediately responds with a towel snap straight to the face. Clearly someone has been to summer camp. My favorite villain moment is actually when they steal the helicopter from this, I, I guess it's on board a ship. So Xenia kills the French pilots. She steals a prototype French stealth helicopter. That uh, they, they come up with an elaborate plan to seduce, uh, I think it's a general. They get his key card, they get behind the scenes. He's dead and they pretty much walk in, kill a couple of pilots, and fly off with the helicopter. Basically, just gets stopped by the French ship's crew, watching the chopper get stolen in broad daylight. And I love that she just, like, flies off with it while everybody on the deck is just sitting there watching, waiting for it to, like, do something cool, and it just flies away. I love that. So we get to, uh, we, we see this Russian... Like out in like the tundra. So we cut to Severnaya Station. The um, it's it's like a satellite uh, communications station or something like that. And there's Alan Cumming, who you may know as Nightcrawler from X Men Two, and uh, from the Son of the Mask. <laughs> Boris Krushenko is just that guy finding time to screw with his coworkers as well as bug the U.S. government via dial-up modem. We get bodies. I am invincible. I love Boris. He's great. Uh, this is a fun character, and I'm I'm super in with him. I do love the scene where uh, Boris is is just calls all the American slugheads over and over again. This is where we meet Natasha and Boris. So Alan Cumming plays Boris, and he's like this Russian hacker, and he's uh, played opposite this girl. I think her name's Natalia, but she's like another hacker. And Natalia Simeonova. She's played by Isabella Skorupko. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, We're also introduced to Natalia Simeonova who's using a very advanced voice control system with her 16 megabyte RAM computer with a 50 pound CRT monster. I'm very impressed. She's Polish, Swedish. She was a model and a singer before this. Um, and she's good in this role. I like it. And they're working on something stupid, but it's the most like 90s computer hacking sequence. It's great. It's so terrible. Boris is a skinny Russian Nedry. For those of you, and I assume that's everybody that's seen Jurassic Park, it's very reminiscent of like the um, hacking sequences with like Dennis Nedry and like Sam Jackson's character. Uh, uh, uh. He didn't say the magic word. He's even drawn himself as a computer character that gives riddles with answers like, 
knockers. And like when Alexis is, you know, hacking the system, it's just like nothing they're doing makes any sense. There's like wailing away at the keyboard and... Meanwhile, in non-Soviet Russia, we're seeing how the low-rent version of the movie Hackers is going, which also came out in 1995. Like the icons are showing up with graphics and all. It's just very strange, but it's hilarious. It's like nobody making the movie knew how computers worked yet. And they figured audiences didn't really know how they worked yet either. Keeping in mind, this is 1995 and the internet was like a year old for most people. This is also the first of many times we get to hear Boris' catchphrase, Yes, I am invincible! You know, the golden eye weapon's here and it gets stolen. That's all really important. But really what I love about this scene is just the insult of slugheads. It's just good. I'm gonna start calling people slugheads. But uh-oh, that helicopter lands, and the general that shot 006 is there, and also on the top. So the Tiger helicopter shows up, Ormov and Zenya enter, they are going to go be here for a test fire of Goldeneye, but then as soon as they get the codes and turn the keys. So this movie has two rather famous Bond girls, Natalia Simonova and Xenia Onatop. Xenia is kind of the ultimate femme fatale of Bond girls. She's absolutely ruthless and completely insane, and her whole shtick is kind of um, killing dudes with her thighs during sex i do kind of wish they had made her a more well-rounded character uh but i do think famke jensen absolutely owns this role i have to go with least favorite villain i feel like xena on top is another character we're introduced to who isn't just evil but has blatant mental health issues the general gets the keys to some old satellite system and on the top pulls a zorin and guns down the entire base uh, she reminds me a lot of Max Zorin from A View to a Kill. When Zinnia murks everyone in that base, it looks like real blood. And it's like the first time I can think of that happening. Uh, it's just very disturbing and unsettling for me. Zinnia just starts mowing down people with the AK. And I love Ormov looking at her like she's a complete psycho uh, while she's doing this. Like, I get it, you like to kill people and you get off on it, but there's a time and there's a place and I think they went over the top. My least favorite part of this really great film. The general sets off the missile, which immediately was labeled CCCP, uh, escaping from a giant EMP blast in their special helicopter. At the same time, the Brits are watching. My favorite line from M being, unlike the American government, we don't get our bad news from CNN. They, they basically steal this satellite called the GoldenEye that appears to just you know be like an EMP device. So that'll actually bring me to my favorite gadget which is the golden eye which is emp like nuclear device that gets set off in the upper atmosphere to send out an emp essentially so that's my favorite gadget it fires like a massive emp into like an area like presumably you could destabilize countries militaries whatever or you know maybe focus it on a specific area whatever it's very dangerous apparently because this emp also electrocutes people um i'm not sure if they know how emps work but that's not what they do fun note about that chopper in this movie in 1995 uh it didn't really come into service in real life until 2003 this was like a prototype is still being tinkered with and designed up until then because Europe didn't really need a new fighter chopper till they do the end of the Cold War. Now the biggest thing about the helicopter is it seems to be immune from EMP. Each of them cost about 27.4 million dollars now plus whatever made up the magic technology that they use for blocking EMPs. Uh, you see two jets kind of like 
bump into each other in midair and they immediately explode after bouncing off of each other? The EMP knocks out two jets headed toward the scene. The golden eye goes off, it blows up a couple MiGs and Severnaya Station and destroys any evidence that Ormov or Xenia were there. I will say that EMPs don't explode anything, they just burn out all circuits. They technically complete them and they burn them out. Don't think that's how that works. We get a description of EMP, which I think might be the third or fourth time in a Bond movie so far. We've had somebody describe to us what electromagnetic pulse is and does. And um, everything is, be- everyone's being like electrocuted, right? Like uh, really crappy, like late 80s, even Return of the Jedi style. Electricity is like coursing all over them and their like hand is stuck to the throttle and they're going like, ah! And uh, that's, yeah, that's not how that works. They can cause fires, but they don't explode things. Um, it would just shut off and they just, everything goes dead. I did appreciate all the miniatures blowing up though. That was really fun and really cool. But uh, very interesting, kind of a cool Blofeldian um, plot. You know, we're gonna, there's there's actually two of these satellites. We're gonna steal them both and we're gonna become super rich somehow. They're like underpants gnomes. You know, step one, underpants. Step three, profit. What's step two? Uh, you know that? little cupboard she was in is starting to sound a lot more attractive now that the entire base is blowing up. But Natalia escapes by hiding under the counter, not the air conditioning system. Very sneaky. No one could have predicted the dog sled surviving. Back at MI6, we get to meet a new Money Penny. Oh shit, this Money Penny is awesome. I like the new Money Penny, I like their banter. And I'll say, she's very age appropriate for Bond. The last one was super cute, but this one is like Bond's age and temperament. As far as I can remember, James, you've never had me. This is the first Money Penny who does not reciprocate Bond's lust. And I like the new M. All right. So it's briefing time. M gets called into the office and uh, there's a man there that we think, oh, is this, is this a new actor playing M? But no, this is a different guy who insults the new M by talking about her as that, that you know, cold-blooded numbers witch or something like that. Favorite ally. In this movie, we're introduced to a brand new M and she's a female. And then she says, excuse me. And she's standing right behind him and it's Dame Judi Dench being fantastic. So this movie has a lot of great allies to choose from. You got the first appearance of Judy Dench's M. What a good entrance for her. And she's played by Dame Judy Dench. Dame Judy Dench is awesome. I mean, this is my favorite ally. Judy Dench's best girl. And then we get the scene where she's dressing Bond down. Bond goes to meet with M just after the explosion to help, you know, plan their reaction. But you can tell she's in a replacement M. From the first time we meet her, we kind of learn that she doesn't take any shit. And uh, she is great in this role. I know at the time, a lot of people were like, well, it's weird for James Bond to be taking orders from a woman. But a lot of those people, I think, shut up once they saw Judi Dench performing this role. She is awesome at it. She doesn't take any of Bond's crap. Bond is like, your predecessor kept scotch in the cabinet. And Dame Judi Dench is like, I prefer bourbon. And there's that awesome scene where she calls Bond out. And that's awesome to see in a, a female character in a James Bond movie. She says to James Bond, I think you're a misogynistic dinosaur. She calls him a misogynistic dinosaur. A relic of the Cold War, whose boyish charms, though wasted on me, obviously appealed to the young woman I sent out to evaluate you. Judy Dench is the best. And right after that, she sits Bond down and she's like, you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur and basically a holdover from all the jackasses in the Cold War. But the frosting on the cake is the line that she delivers where she says something like, 
I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War, whose boyish charms are lost on me. And Barb has to take it. I love it. I love that moment. Picking her for this role as the new M and then having this monologue, there's there's no dialogue. It is Judy Dench just straight up talking shit to Bond. Damn, M. Just laying it on the line. I love the line when M says, I have no compunction sending you to your death, but I won't do it on a whim. I like that. She's tough but fair, right? It's a very good portrayal of M and um, very cool with one line, you can say like, look, I, I don't care if you live or die, but I'm also not gonna waste this asset. She ain't here to put up with your bullshit, Bond. She's here to get the job done. But she also respects that James Bond can do the job. So she sends him out on this mission with the explicit instructions to do his job and not resort to revenge. She's also like, if you're afraid I won't send a man out to die, you're wrong. I just won't waste him and I'll have your back. I think that really establishes their relationship in a very cool way. Seriously, she's great. She gives him clear guidelines. This is what you're going to do. This is what you're not going to do, Bond. Do you hear me? It's fantastic. I love her. Certainly addresses a lot of the issues from all of the previous Bond films. It's just such a solid callback uh, and kind of like an announcement of, you know, things are going to be different, kind of, sort of. And uh, she is very, like, believable as a hardcore, like, foreign intelligence director. I love this Am. She is, oh, she's amazing. She's so good. I mean, it's perfect. Thank you, Em. Thank you. We then go to a meeting of the Russian defense minister, where General Orlov, the guy who shot 006, shows up to give his report to the thing he stole. But they want him to stay on his job, but the minister's still a little suspicious. There's also, like, a parade going on in Red Square. They just do that every, every day, all day, just parade around in Red Square. Oh! And the original Q is back. So no gadget or weapon in particular, but this is the perfect time to bring up how much I love Q and how silly he's becoming. He's getting up there in age, but it's still fun. He's super still in the creating toys. I really like that he ran around a corner after setting off a grenade and put his hand over his ears. My favorite gadget is uh, actually probably going to be that cast missile. I thought that was pretty fun. That's some bonker stuff going on in the background of the scene. We get a walkthrough of Q-Labs, which is great. There's just a lot of, like, fun gags in there. The phone booth airbag and the cast that shoots a missile. Um, it's hilarious. I love Q. I love this scene. Um, it's awesome. We have some weird telephone booth and some guy getting a desk getting, like, ejected out of there. I mean, we've had, like, little slapstick here and there before, but the stuff that's in the background is pretty hilarious, like the exploding desk and the inflating phone booth. Now, Bond also gets a new car, a BMW Z3. Dude... It has Stinger missiles behind the headlights. First off, those things are like 40 grand a piece. I think him and Pierce play off each other really well, so it's kind of fun to have that naked gun or airplane type silliness to break things up. Also, where's the exhaust system for that rocket launch going? There's a reason these things are in tubes. I know we get like a BMW in the next two movies minimum, but I forgot if they get the chance to launch the rocket. Oh, and class four grenades aren't really a thing. Bond goes to Russia to track down that chopper plus the girl. So Bond meets his CIA contact in St. Petersburg. And I will say this is the first Bond movie that was filmed in Russia because the Cold War had just ended and um, the Soviet Union had just fallen. And they never showed any of the Bond movies in Russia for probably obvious reasons. And so this is the first time that one was ever filmed in St. Petersburg. Um, he gets off the plane into a very cold, cold Russia. And not everyone is bears. 
So right now I'm always suspect. Bond gets sent out on assignment to Russia and uh, meets up with um, uh, his contact there and tries to, to use some fancy code words about like, oh, isn't the weather in August a dream or something like that, whatever it is. Bond meets his contact, Jodon Baker, who is uh, CIA agent Jack Wade. We've already seen Jodon Baker. He was the uh, the dumb American uh, military guy from uh, uh, Living Daylights, but now he is a CIA agent uh, and he is going to help Bond meet Yes. And the guy responds like, I ain't got time for your bullshit passwords. Let's just get in the car and go. Not only is Whitaker back, but we have another Jimmy callback. I love it. And we get to meet again, Joe Don Baker, who in this movie is playing CIA agent Jack Wade. I like Jack Wade here. I think it's great. I love that he keeps calling James Bond Jimbo. I know that this is probably just like the continuation of of the James Bond movies like Dogging on the Americans. They had that, M had that one line where she was like, unlike the Americans, we don't get our bad news from CNN. Um, and I get that, I think that this is the continuation of that. But like in being a dumb American myself, I like this guy. Who I affectionately has been referring to as a Jimbo, because that's all he says. And immediately I'm like, oh, it's this is J.W. Peppa. Sheriff J.W. Peppa's been promoted. He's part of the CIA now. Turns out that's not the case. This is a new character with the CIA. He's not Felix Slider. He's not J.W. Peppa. But in my heart, he's J.W. Peppa. And we get to see his ass. Because this movie has its own sense of humor. But it's a fun way to show tradecraft. They do like a handshake of code words. And Bond knows about a rose on his ass. Apparently Muffy has written on it. Very amusing. You also got Russian Hagrid. So Bond meets up with uh, this guy, Valentine. Uh, that's right. You got uh, Robbie Coltrane playing Valentin Zukolsky. They get into the worst car ever. And Bond is like, I have to go see someone who will introduce me to Janice. It turns out that Bond had shot the guy, Valentin Zukolsky. So that's going to be a really rough intro. Who is, I guess he's got ties to the Russian mob, but he's sort of, uh, you know, he helps out Bond they think is going to be able to get him a lead on this Janus syndicate that's apparently orchestrating everything going on in this movie. Um, who's this Russian guy? And and I got to be honest with you, as, as a young lad, I thought that this was Pushkin from Living Daylights. I thought this was the same character John Reese davies played. And it's not, but like, it totally could be. I mean, the idea is that it's, you know, someone high up in, in Russia with power, with goons. This could totally be Pushkin post-retirement from the military. Bond meets up with Valentin who is played by Hagrid. Yes, his real name is Robbie Coltrane, but he's always Hagrid to me. I love the backstory with Bond and Valentin Zhukovsky. Their interactions are great. You really get the feeling that they're old enemies that are working together now. I love the banter back and forth between them. Uh, I love Zhukovsky trying to like shoot guns into the cushions next to Bond. Um, I love the line about like, uh, who cares about a helicopter? I have six and Bond's like three, none that fly. And Zhukovsky's like, who's counting? Hagrid is a problem with Bond because Bond shot Hagrid in the knee. As someone with knee problems, I might have shot Bond myself. Bond tells Valentine to give Bond up to Janice's bait, so they have a little deal going on. Just a random fun fact, when Justin and I were watching, we were watching the scene where they're in a Russian nightclub and there's like three women singing like a really bad rendition of Stand by your man. And the girl looks super familiar and it took us a minute, but it's a very young mini driver. I love the cameo by future star actress Minnie Driver in the scene, singing a terrible rendition of Stand by your man. It was kind of funny to me because she's British with a British accent and we're used to hearing her with like an American accent and here she's singing with a Russian accent, an American song. So all of it put together just made me laugh. 
This is actually one of her first movies that wasn't for TV. She went on to go play one of my favorite movies, Gross Point Blank. Hey, Minnie Driver is in this. She's the girl singing, uh, the girl, Valentine's girlfriend. Uh, she's in it for like two seconds, but hey, I recognize her. Somehow, Natalia has made it from an island in the middle of the Arctic Ocean to St. Petersburg, which I can't even Google map it, but I'm guessing it's a minimum week-long drive if you can get off the island. So she's there in a day, two days. So Natalia survives the machine gunning of her entire crew, the EMP blast, the explosion of the Severnaya facility, a MIG hitting her office. She survives Xenia personally trying to kill her. She dog sleds across Siberia, bluffs her way into a computer drive and makes contact with Boris. I really actually liked Natalia quite a bit in this movie. She seemed like a really well-rounded character. She definitely had her own, you know, her own story, her own motivations, definitely her own agency. And we are like, awesome. This girl is, uh, this is not just a typical Bond girl. This one is very capable and she's on top of things. I thought it was cool that she was essential to kind of saving the day. I really liked the chemistry between her and Bond. I sort of wish that they had brought her back in the next movie, but I especially enjoyed the whole hacker rivalry she had going with Boris. She goes to a state-of-the-art computer store with access to such things like a 500 megahertz tower with a 14.4k modem. Just for reference, the, the computers she's trying to buy in St. Petersburg are a 500 megahertz drive, which um, that current iPhone has six cores, two at 2.65 gigahertz and four at 1.8 gigahertz. And the 14.4 modem, while uh, has nostalgia factor for me, is much slower than the current standard of, of internet, which is roughly 500 megabytes per second and up from there. So uh, just amazing how far computers have come in the last 20 years. She's literally going to take over the world with that. She finds out that Boris is alive and arranges to meet up with him, but rot row, Boris is a bad guy. Of course he is. I hate Boris. Seriously, hate Boris. So to get back to Xenia on the top for a moment, played again by the gorgeous Fonka Jensen, she has a scene in like a bathhouse uh, sauna with James that is really... Uh, Intense, we'll say. Famke's character really is the perfect anti-Bond assassin. Bond goes for a swim in the Hitman Contracts pool, where Onatop comes to kill him or have sex with him, or let's be honest, it, it's both. She also has the same way she tries to squeeze um, James Bond to death at one stage, I guess. Like, she wants the, the sex and the lust. Um, we see earlier where she's been kind of absconded with this Russian, uh, you know, military figure. And she kills him, like she seduces him and kills him by wrapping her legs around him and just squeezing him to death. So Xena on the top, we've already seen her kill one man uh, with her sex legs. And like, you know, on on the list of like ways to be killed, being strangled to death by Zinyana Top is probably pretty decent on the list. I mean, obviously I can think of a few dozen worse ways to go, but that's okay. I would definitely rather have that be my demise than like, I don't know, burning to death or something. And then she tries to jump Bond in this Turkish bath or whatever. She tries to do the same to James later on. Uh, there's obviously an attraction between the two of them and she plays into that very quickly. And then just without like any subtext, just starts kicking his ass, you know, while trying to make out with him. And he's like wailing on her and like smashing her against the walls and stuff. Bond is attacked by Zinya in a 
bathhouse and Famke Jansen actually cracked a rib while do filming this fight scene because she was telling Brosnan that he wasn't hitting her hard enough and that he needed to like ram her into the wall as hard as he possibly could because it was going to be what made the most sense for the character um, and she ended up cracking a rib during that scene. And she's really into it. And Bond pulls a gun on her and she says, you don't need the gun, Commander. And he says, that depends on your definition of safe sex, which is, that's a very good line. But she's insane. The only thing she does with it is just murder people. So it's like Bond finally gets everything he wants, except nothing at all. It's very good. She really gets off on suffering and violence and shit. It's very, uh, I don't know. It's, it just doesn't, it I'm not going to say out of place, but it feels different <laughs> than most of the stuff you see in Bond. You know, normally they're just like, they're cold calculating, you know, femme fatales. This chick is just a straight lunatic. But then they get in this fight where they're, you know, she's, they're slamming on each other all over the place. They're not quite having sex, but they may as well be having sex. And man, poor Xenon on top, Fanka Jansen, she's, she's just having to have orgasms all over the place in this movie. I hope she enjoyed it. It seems like it would have been an awkward set for her to be on. But as she's trying to murder Bond, she's going, yes, yes, yes. And then Bond ends up beating her and pulling a gun on her and just goes, no, no, no. This movie really does address a lot of the fallacies of the entire series up to this point. And then he judo chops her and knocks her out. But he overpowers her with a judo chop. Although her powers in sexual judo are strong, Bond gets his gun and he's done with the foreplay. So anyway, he, he forces her to take him to like her, her boss. They then go in her car to the rendezvous with Janice. But I have questions. How did they get dressed? Did you lock her up, get dressed, then have her get dressed? Did he do it slow with a gun in her the whole time? It's it's a weird transition. Thinking it's going to be this Russian guy uh, or whatever. And he goes to this, um, it's actually pretty cool. It's almost like a statue graveyard for like former Soviet Union statues. So there's like a Stalin statue and all this stuff in there. It's pretty cool. We go to the creepy statue park to meet Janice and it's Alec Trevelyan, 006. Oh shit, Bond's here to meet Janice and it turns out Janice is Alec. He's alive after all these years. He's still around and he's evil now. One of my favorite moments in the movie is where Sean Bean, 006, reveals himself and he, he walks out of the shadows surrounded by all these old crumbling Soviet statues. They go to a graveyard of broken Soviet statues and probably war criminals where Janice is dun dun dun, Alec, the old 006. It's a little over the top, but I really like uh, the imagery there and the dynamics between, uh, you know, between Bond and Alex. How is that possible? He's Sean Bean. He, like, died in the beginning of the movie, as he normally does. Because it turns out that his parents were, like, immigrants who were persecuted by the British so much so that his dad killed himself. Oh, man, that's a dark backstory for, for him. He's been He's been plotting revenge since he was a little tiny baby boy. Anyway, he's walking around in there, and he's confronted by 006, who somehow survived being shot in the head and blown up in a chemical factory with just a slight burn on the side of his face. You're telling me that entire plant blew to hell and 006 has the lightest of scratches on his faces? But he's, you know, he's in charge of all of this and we're, it's revealed that his family was involved in this Russian-British betrayal and, you know, they ended up killing themselves out of shame and all this stuff. So he holds them responsible and I don't know. But... We finally get the backstory of Janice. Turns out that Alec is a Linz Cossack, and his family was betrayed by the British government with the dad killing himself, and he became an orphan. He blames the British for the betrayal, 
Oh, and he calls out Bond for being an orphan, uh, noting the fact that his parents died in a climbing accident, which means that's canon in this version of Bond. No mentions of marriages though, so Tracy's still probably gone. Holy convoluted histories, Batman. Anyway, this is more of an epic fails of history thing, but looking more into the Lens Cossacks, they were actually ex-Russians that fled or hid after the Russian Civil War, and then went to work with the Nazis to fight against the Soviet and the Allies in World War II. When they were eventually surrendered or were captured, the quote-unquote betrayal was turning them over to the Soviets for eventual execution. So I wouldn't really call it a betrayal, more a lack of caring what happens to POWs when planning the end of the war at the Yalta Conference. So yeah, the Cossacks were actually bad guys. I don't have that much sympathy for you, 006. He is great in this. I love this interaction between the two of them. Your Majesty's loyal terrier. It's awesome. These guys are, uh, are great together, and you really feel the personal vendetta between the two of them. Alex pulls a dumb guy move and just darts 007 instead of shoot him in the face. So Bond gets knocked out and the villain puts him in a stupid death trap once again. They put him inside of the Tiger helicopter with missiles set to shoot off that are targeted at the helicopter. So they fly out and then come back and shoot it. My favorite vehicle is actually the helicopter. It's really cool up until the point it gets blown up by itself, essentially. Bond wakes up in the front seat of the Tiger helicopter with Natalia screaming at him. She's in the back. And he's in there with Natalia. This is how they're trying to clean up all their loose ends, and they don't just shoot them both in the head before putting them in the helicopter. It seems like that would have been easier. Bond wakes up in the stolen helicopter with Natalia yelling in his ear. We have an interesting kind of death trap here where the Tiger helicopter is going to fire its rockets, lock onto itself, and blow itself up. There's a timer on the chopper, and it shoots out some anti-aircraft missiles that go out, turn around, and are heading back. The the way that Bond and the, the programmer that he finds get out of it is he starts hitting his head on the inside until he finds the injector seat. But James Bond is able to headbutt the ejection button just in time to save him and Natalia from being blown up. But Bond is able to hit the eject button, which really isn't a thing on this chopper, but Bond gets his frequent flyer mileage. It's really funny. Because you can't really shoot missiles in a graveyard anywhere, Bond and Natalia are arrested as enemies of the Kremlin, being brought to a prison to meet with the Minister of Defense from the first opening scenes. But anyway, they, they are captured. Unfortunately, they are then immediately picked up by uh, the Soviet Ministry of Defense. I love how Natalia stops the pissy match between Bond and the minister. I love the scene of Mishkin interrogating Bond um, and Bond just being super chill about it. Like, that's the trouble with the world today. No one takes the time to do a really sinister interrogation anymore. It's such a great line. I love it. Ormov shows up, shoots the minister in the face, and yells for guards. That guy really has a thing with shooting people in the face. They escape. They get captured by the Russian military. Probably my favorite kill is on Defense Minister Dmitry Mishkin by Colonel Uramov. He sort of walks in, picks up the gun the Defense Minister puts on the table and shoots the Russian agents in the room. Dude, if the guards don't come for gunshots, do you really need to yell for them? Are gunshots normal enough in this prison? Uramov comes in, uh, figures out what's going on, kills Mishkin, frames Bond for it, and now Bond has to escape. They escape from the Russian military, and then she gets captured again while Bond jumps out a window. Bond and Natalia escape the facility, but she is eventually caught, and Bond makes his way to a tank yard. Wait, they also store tanks at a prison in downtown St. Petersburg? Pierce Brosnan looks good carrying those short-barreled AKs in the suit. He's working this like, you don't even need to tell me that this is Bond. You show me a picture of this, and I would have told you. Even if I didn't know that Pierce Brosnan was James Bond, I would have said, this guy looks like James Bond. I do want to call out, though, here. In the library where she gets captured again, there's, there's all these... 
it's a library, right? There's all these bookcases. And one of the first things Bond does is push over a bookcase into another bookcase, which bumps into another bookcase. That's right, it's another domino scene. It's a weird callback to the bicycle domino scene at the beginning of the movie. Now I know what you're thinking, rule of three says there's gotta be another domino scene later in the movie, right? Right? Nah. So they're fighting through the archives and Natalia gets captured, but Bond swings across the archive and gets out. Uh, the the one scene I wanted to talk about real quick, my favorite action scene in the movie, and there's some really good ones, is the big chase scene where uh, James and Natalia escape their first time being captured. The bad guys kind of recapture her. Ormov, however, picks up Natalia and he is on the way out. He's getting into this car and he is driving away. And they take off in this car through the streets. So when Bond jumps out this window. And James sees they have a tank. He finds a tank, like you do. Ormov takes Natalia and there's a little car to escape, but bam! But... Oh shit, Bond stole a tank. Favorite vehicle? Uh, it's gotta be the tank. Tank crushes through the wall, chasing right after the car. <laughs> Favorite vehicle? Still not much of a car person, so I'm definitely gonna go with the tank. The tank is a T-55. I can go like 30 miles an hour. Driven through the middle of St. Petersburg. And this leads to the best chase scene in the James Bond franchise? And it gets to the point where the general's like, use the bumper the way it's intended. You know, hit people. Bond causes a few million dollars in damages, takes out a couple cop cars, statues, buildings. So he just hijacks the tank and starts driving through the streets, jacking everything up. But can anyone say they didn't love that tank? I do love the tank chase. Bond went full killzozer through the streets of Russia. It's absurd. He's driving through buildings. He's driving through cop cars. He's driving over cars. He's shooting shit. But it's just, it's fun. Which is uh, the evil Russian general in a car with Natalia, Natasha. Natalia? Uh, I never knew that tanks could go through walls. The shot of him busting through the wall in the T-80 is amazing. The music kicks in, the tank busts through a brick wall right behind the car. You think Ormo's about to get away, but no bonds on his tail. So, learn something today. Natasha. Romanov. I enjoy that you get to see Pierce's suave smirk popping out of the tank. It kind of chips away at the seriousness of most of the car chases we've seen in previous movies, which is a nice change of pace. Uh, Bond hijacks his tank and he's smashing through St. Petersburg Square, chasing after, you know, a car. They're in a car. James Bond is in a tank and he's chasing them through the streets of Russia in a tank. And Pierce Brosnan is the shit. Ormov takes a huge hit from his flask and the chase is on. We're going to be power sliding a 45 ton tank through the streets of St. Petersburg and demolishing half of the city in the process. And then it drifts and it's like this movie does a, a pretty solid job of keeping reality but not losing the fun. Like it is awesome. He's just tripping through stuff. There's no image that is more James Bond than the image of James Bond power sliding a tank into the side of a building and just driving through it and then straightening his tie as he comes out the other side. And the bad guy is in the back of the car with the girl and he keeps looking back and just taking swigs off his flask like, oh, I'm so screwed. This car chase is amazing. Ormov is like bumping people on the sidewalk. Bond's fixing his tie while he's driving through buildings and smashing over cop cars. They did it right. It's really cool. Yeah, it's, 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 it's amazing. <laughs> Probably the, the best scene in the movie. Can't beat that. That's James Bond. Hell yeah, James Bond. Now, unfortunately, the bad guys do get away here, and they get to their super cool secret Russian armored spy 
train thing. Oh, the bad guys are on a train. Ormov boards an armored train at the end of it, and we think he's going to get away. Ormov gets away, getting into the most evil-looking black train. Like, dude, it's a train. People are going to see that it's pure evil. Like, it's on tracks. This giant, like, steel-looking train monstrosity. Did anyone else think the train looks a lot like Nose Pass the Pokemon? Alex is there. And he's the one trying to sexually assault someone, not Bond. That's a first for the movie. And Bond, like, somehow rolls a great stealth check in his tank as he drives over an overpass and sees them loading into the train, and no one notices him there in his tank. But here's the problem then. You think they're getting away in the train, but then a while later, the tank is on the train tracks, coming out of a tunnel towards the train. But Bondhouse somehow gets miles ahead of his tank. Which means he was able to drive that tank to those train tracks, to that tunnel, and come back through it before the tank could get there. Now, the tank he's driving is a Russian T-54-55 tank. It's a max speed of 30 miles per hour. I don't know what kind of train these, these, these sneaky Russian military defector spy guys are driving, but it's impressive. And in 1938, specialized trains could already do better than 120 miles per hour. And that was in 1938. I gotta believe this train can do at least 31 miles per hour. At least. And if they can do that, then how did James Bond get that taken from that train? Doesn't make any sense. Until something sparked on the tracks, it's a T-80. Here we go. Tank versus train. Who do you got? And Bond parks the damn tank at the front of a tunnel on the tracks facing the train like, all right then. I love that there's no music or noise when the tank and the train are facing off against each other. It's just the squeaking of the treads as the T-80 is rolling forward on the tracks. And on a topic, excited about the thought of derailing the train. And as they get closer, he shoots the front of the train and it just hops off like, enjoy. And then the flaming train derails itself. It's pretty awesome. Okay, train probably would have won this. Trevelyan's ordering it to ram it, but the main gun of the T-80 goes off, explodes the head of, of the train. Bond gets out. There's a huge crash. Everybody gets flung, and all of a sudden Bond is uh, is in there, and he's got a gun on Trevelyan. There's a standoff. The girl or the mission? With Bond having to choose between rescue Natalia or kill Alec. Bond says the mission is the most important thing, but he's bluffing. He picks the girl, he caps Oromov, Trevelyan escapes. With, of course, Bond choosing to kill the general and save her. The train is about to explode. It is rigged for three minutes. Natalia is in there trying to hack Boris. On the top, an Alec escape in a very tiny helicopter. Bond uses his laser to cut through a six-inch steel plating. I do like when he uses the laser to cut through the floor in the train. That's not how that works, sir. Because that scene's in the video game. I, I've mentioned multiple times how lasers really don't work the way they do in movies, but still. <sighs> We've got two of my absolute favorite gadgets in the whole series, exploding pen and laser watch. The exploding pen's ridiculous, but it's such a, it's used so well in this movie. And the laser watch, I, I want one. And you have to use your watch laser to do it. And Bond is cutting through the floor with his laser watch, which is a nightmare in the GoldenEye video game because you should never have to aim with the left shoulder button. And I just think it's cool that, that they brought it over straight from the movie to the game. Unless you have like a nuclear powered watch, you might be able to engrave your name in it or something, like an iPhone, but you shouldn't be able to cut open any doors. However, he does. I'd probably accidentally chop my own foot off, but oh my God, that, that watch is so cool. With how clumsy I am, Meg's always reminding me like I would make a terrible secret agent. And Natalia spikes Boris like in the beginning of the movie, tracing the signal to Cuba. Dude, it's a 14.4K modem going over what? Like radio? Cause you're on a train, there's no direct card line. That would take hours to trace him down. But Bond gets it done, they escape, we find out that Boris is in Cuba, and we get away just before everything explodes. They escape, and again, 
the girl seduces Bond. This is a definite change to the series. Uh, Natalia is able to track down where Boris is at. They figure out um, where he's at. And there must be there must be a second satellite able to contact the GoldenEye weapon system. So they end up in Cuba with the sports car and meet up with Wade, a Jimbo, who gives them a plane and no information because in this version of Bond, the U.S. is dumb as hell. So they head there, and they're in the tropics. Oh, it's so beautiful, the Caribbean. And then a little prop plane comes flying over them, and it turns out it's J.W. Peppa here to deliver an airplane for James Bond and the girl to use to try to go find the satellite dish. And he's like, thanks for the BMW, and takes off in it and leaves them with the plane. They give Wade the car, taking no luggage, yet in the next scene they have a full change of clothes. Don't even get me started. Long story short, James and Natalia escape from a couple different death traps and bad situations, spend about an hour on a beach in a sequence that has no room being in the movie whatsoever and doesn't really do anything. Oh, and time is of the essence, but Bond had time to brood on the beach before Natalia comes over and consoles him, and then they have sex. Okay, so there's been kind of like a balance of sort of heavy action, heavy drama throughout this movie, uh, but everything that happens at the beach, I think is just like a little too over the top for me. That really kind of pulled me out of the rest of the movie. Next, they pull a view over we live twice and fly over a lake that turns out to be the target. But this lake has surface-to-air missiles. Yeah, there's another $40,000 used up. Now here's the thing. The satellite dish is hidden, right? It's under a lake. He's ready to give up. He's like, we must have been wrong. They're not here because there's clearly no football field length satellite dish on this island. We would see it if it was here. So we must have the wrong place until a surface-to-air missile shoots him out of the sky. They would have never found this facility in Cuba if they hadn't launched that missile out of the ocean at James Bond. If they had just been cool for another 30 seconds, Bond would have flown away and that would have been the end of all of it. If they had just let him keep flying, he would have left. They would have gotten away with it if it weren't for that pesky surface-to-air missile. Anyway, Bond gets shot down and Xenia drops in on him, rappelling out of a helicopter for a double-leg drop kick to the face. But Onatop comes by and starts kicking the crap out of James' ass. Vanka Jansen's like six feet tall. She's pretty believable in hand-to-hand combat that she would be pretty rough to deal with. Um, and there's a pretty great fight sequence here. She headbutts Natalia unconscious, but then gets crushed to death by a helicopter. Bond shoots the chopper that dropped her off, causing her to get yanked bodily into a tree, getting crushed. Xena Onatop's death is possibly the best death in the movie. It was rivaled by one that happens later, but I like her death because basically she and Bond are fighting and uh, Bond ends up hooking her belt to a helicopter and then shooting the helicopter down so that the rope tied to the helicopter pulls her against a tree and just squeezes her to death instead of her squeezing him to death. She always did enjoy a good squeeze. So just retribution. My favorite death is Onatop's death in the forest. She was a very capable henchman slash woman and the fact that it took a helicopter to kill her showed that. It would have been great if the final fight between Zinnia and Bon lasted a little bit longer, but I mean, she's been in a lot of this movie, so I can kind of understand it. Like, it's acceptable. Eventually we get to the big finale, which is on one of the cooler bases you'll see for a Bond villain, this side of like volcano bases and stuff. So when traveling, I generally make it a point to visit popular sites from films. 
and GoldenEye kind of never impressed me until I saw the actual Observatorio del Arecibo in Puerto Rico. Uh, it is mind-blowingly awesome, and I absolutely recommend that you just take the time to go see it. It is so cool. It's pretty sweet. There's that huge underwater satellite that comes out. The satellite dish opens up by draining all the water in the bowl. The lake is not a lake, and they filmed it in reverse, so there's that. There's like this giant satellite dish buried in like a lake, like a mountain valley lake. And when it's activated, it raises up out of the water and uh, becomes like, you know, this giant amplifying device for presumably like to use the golden eye satellites with. It's really, really cool and really has like some really awesome set pieces, uh, action sequences in it. Sliding down that giant satellite dish actually looks like it would be a lot of fun. I remember thinking that when I was watching this the first time. This movie really does not do it justice. Cut to Bon and Natalia stinking inside, but there's like a whole operation, like 50 plus people. That's staff. That's payroll. This is a real group of people who kept a secret. I like the Boris and Trevelyan interactions. There's not a lot of them, but Boris thinks Trevelyan's an idiot and is always rolling his eyes at him. And every time uh, Boris gets punched in the face or fails at something, Trevelyan like smirks. Uh, I like this interaction between the bad guys. Anyway, Bon pulls a trick from the beginning of the movie, putting huge bombs from God knows where he got them. One of my favorite shots of this whole movie is when Bond is setting off the timed explosives. Uh, he's setting them while the Russians are shooting machine guns at him and like one machine gun uh, a bullet, one AK round, like ricochets off of the tank next to Bond's head. And he's just like setting the timers and then like the, the thing sparks and he like flinches a little bit, but doesn't look that concerned or worried or anything like that. I think that that is like an awesome Bond shot where he is just like in the middle of something, he's gonna set these bombs, this thing sparks off, he doesn't bother him that much. I don't know if that was like written in the script or if that was Brosnan acting it, but I think that's great. And I think that that like one little split second shot like sums up why James Bond is so cool very, very succinctly. But they're stopped, including Talia, but she sets a surprise on the computer system. Bond and Natalia both get captured, and again, if they just got shot in the head here, they'd probably be okay. Alex then tells James the master plan. So we get the, the, the big evil plan. This is now a complete Bond movie. So the whole evil plot in this movie is basically a digital heist with an EMP satellite weapon. But apparently, to get back at England, Janice is going to steal a bunch of money from the Bank of England, then EMP everything to erase the records. The mechanics on how this works are a little unclear. Again, with double entry bookkeeping, if you move the money somewhere, there's a record of that transaction at both points. Some bank will remember any transaction from a country that basically got sent back to the Renaissance. I wouldn't say it's an easy to hide crime there, buddy. Trevelyan is just going to steal a bunch of money from London banks, uh, transfer them into his own accounts, then fire Goldeneye at London to not only erase all the bank records and any sign that he had stolen all of this money, but also basically like Y2K London, create this like financial meltdown, destroy all computer records. But I think it's both goofy enough and grounded enough it kind of it kind of straddles that line, you know. I think it I think it really works for this movie. And I think that's a pretty cool plan. Like it's a good way of like here's what I get out of it and here's, you know, I get my revenge also. Bond calls him nothing more than a common thief, which is like a, always a great comeback for the hero uh, whenever the bad guys are just all about the money. I like that for all his talk of honor and glory, 006 is 
just a common criminal. Favorite line of the whole movie, I might as well ask you for if the vodka martinis have silenced the screams of all the men you've killed, or if you find forgiveness in the arms of all those willing women for the dead ones you failed to protect. So good. You get goosebumps hearing it. What makes him such a good villain, though, is that he's a perfect foil for Bond. He's got the same training, a lot of the same gadgets, he knows his methods... I like that 006 knows Q and has the same watch as Bond and is able to deactivate the the timed mines. Like, that's awesome. They got a lot in common, and it's kind of like Bond facing off against the evil version of himself. I think this is good. This is a good plan, and I'm I'm super excited to see where this is going. Like, it gets very, very tense at this point. But Boris also taunts them. The escalation of tension here is is great. Uh, Natalia has screwed up the system and then encrypted it. Boris is trying to decrypt it in time. Um, The satellites might be re-entering orbit. Everybody's tense. Everybody's stressed out, right? Natalia's worried that they're gonna get, the codes are gonna get broken. Can I also mention that Boris sucks, like, so much. He's such a neckbeard. Like, screw him. It's very satisfying to watch Boris get bitch slapped and then kicked in the head by Natalia. Alex seems to like it too. Natalia manages to slap Boris and when she does, Boris falls down and picks up Bond's pen by mistake instead of his pen. My favorite gadget in the movie is his quickie pen that Q gives him. Now Bond's pen is a special Q branch pen that if you click the button three times, it explodes. It's a bomb in a pen form and it's a you know functional pen, but you click it X amount of times to arm it and X amount of times to disarm it. Bond's worried because Boris has the pen and he's clicking it. And Boris has a pen clicking addiction. Click. The music's building. Click. Click, click. Click, click. And Bond's just watching it going, oh, good. Everybody's screaming at each other. Everybody's mad. They're all in the same room together. Boris takes Bond's pen when he and Natalia have been captured. And as a twitchy, nervous hacker guy, He's clicking away at this pen. Click, click, click. Like, you know, uh, you or I would. If, like, you'd rather than, like stomping your foot or twitching your leg or whatever, you click your pen, like, you know, whatever it is, your nervous twitch. So he's sitting there trying to break into the system or something, and he's slipping the pen around his fingers and he keeps going click, click, click. He's doing that, and you just see Bond watching the pen. Like, he's not even paying attention to what's happening with everything else. The music is, like, swelling and building. He's clicking the pen. He's just watching that pen. And then he clicks it three times. And then, boom. And everything starts exploding. And when he clicks it the right amount of times, he slaps it up in the air, tackles the girl to the ground. So we're finally at the scene where Boris clicks the pin three times and Brosnan knocks it out of his hand. And everything blows up and goes to hell. Pen gets the three clicks, Bond whips it up in the air, hits the gas tanks, explodes. Uh, I realized at that point I didn't quite realize the layout of this layer, so I had to rewatch it. And uh, for real, they were dumb enough to put like their main super secret top people contained area directly beneath all of the explosives huge explosion and uh now it's all just anarchy that's a real smooth move one of bond's gadgets that class 4 grenade pen is accidentally picked up and set up by boris allowing bond to escape with natalia and bond ends up running away to go and blow up the whole satellite dish and alec ends up chasing him they end up in an elevator where bond is like can you use a gun and then she just checks the magazine and racks the slide badass she's a survivor bond uses the opportunity to haul ass which is really unusual he actually does the smartest thing possible natalia playing dead in the elevator is a cool trap i like that it's just like a little little tiny thing but i think it's neat i also love the little trick that they pulled with the elevator bond likes dropping down on people
So Bond goes out to manually stop the satellite from repositioning. To try to stop the GoldenEye satellite, or blow up the GoldenEye satellite. And Alec goes to stop him, and we're gonna get a showdown on top of the tower, not just about the mission, but personal. Bond goes up on the low-rent Moonraker gondola, but Alec and him get into a pitch gun battle, moving on to a fistfight. It's all very, very intense and very exciting. They're basically equally trained agents, except Alec has been bad for a while, so he fights a little bit more street. Because he works out more. He gets into a gunfight and then a fist fight with 006, like way up in the air on this really like catwalky satellite dish. It's really cool. Uh, one of the my favorite action scenes in like a Bond movie, not that it's maybe not the most like well choreographed or like the best looking, it's certainly not as good as like the, the you know, opening to Casino Royale, for instance, but it's got like a little bit of weight to it. I remember, like, even the first time I watched this, there's one shot where, like, it's just kind of nothing, but, like, Trevelyan is shooting at Bond while he's running on the thing, and Bond does, like, a somersault down a flight of metal stairs hanging over, like, this big several hundred foot drop to the bottom of this tower, and that just looks like it would hurt so bad. I can't imagine, like, the stunt work on, like, doing a front flip down a flight of stairs. Bond sabotages the satellite tracking machine with a selection of conveniently laid out iron bars. Still, the satellite is on its way to crashing the Earth, but will it go off for being destroyed? Nope. No, it will not, because Boris sucks. As we knew it would, it comes down to a fist fight between Alec and Bond, two double O agents beating the shit out of each other. And it's a great fight. Because of the betrayal between the two of them, and they just you could tell like James just doesn't like he really dislikes these turn of events. Like he really does not appreciate what's happening here. Uh, 006 gets the advantage, Bond drops down to the satellite, they're fighting, they're fighting on a ladder, Bond's hanging from a guide wire several hundred feet above the ground. Yeah, the showdown between Alec and uh, uh, Bond on the satellite is pretty cool. And this is just like an awesome fight scene. There's this, after exchanging some fire, there's this brutal fist fight between 007 and 006. Bond and Alec finish off their fight at the bottom of the satellite thing. They, you know, it's it's like one of them's hanging from the ladder, the other's hanging from the ladder, back and forth. Bond's trying to keep Alec alive. He's holding him by his boot. And, and it ends with, they're dangling off of this, um, I don't even know what to call it. They're dangling off of the top of the satellite like hanging over this precipice it's it's a massive drop in the end bond gets the advantage he kicks trevelyan down grabs him by the boot in the end alec falls i think sean bean has one of the best deaths in the bond movies james dropping alec to the ground from a few stories up and alex knows it's over he's kind of laughing in the face of death i think i think he's still kind of hoping to win over his old friend trevelyan looks up says for England, James? For England, James? And James says, no, for me. And Bond just responds, no, for me. And he drops him. For him, not for Queen Country. And he drops him. Favorite kill? Um, I want to say it's James Bond dropping his former best friend, Alec, off the top of the satellite dish in Cuba. This time he gets dropped all the way down the satellite dish and he falls for quite a ways and and it's it's a pretty sickening fall and you see him hit the ground like they do they do a good job with this they cut to like a closer shot to show you like bam like oh he's dead but he like survived a second after the crash trevelyan falls to his death but he lives he hits the ground and he is not dead i don't, I don't know how that was possible it's a, it's unfortunate because you know he's just this image of like bond gone wrong and you hope that somehow he would come back to the light, but he never did. It doesn't. It's not a frivolous kill, but instead something we see James coming to grips with on the beach before they head to Cuba. It gives purpose and emotion to James Bond's character, and we've only really seen him kill mindlessly before. I always thought, though, Bond's one-liner during that scene should have been, you only live twice. Such a huge missed opportunity. Then James, in like a Luke Skywalker moment, is hanging off the edge of this ladder that 
Alec had just fallen off of, and he's kind of like putting out his MI6 version of the force call. Please come save me. Natalia has like hijacked one of the helicopters that Trevelyan's people were using and has the pilot like fly it over to where James is. And I thought it was, it, the reason I bring this part up is it's interesting that they couldn't have made this easier for him. Like this dude's just been through a lot. He is beat to shit. He's been holding on for dear life, like by his fingertips. And instead of like tilting the helicopter a little bit to get the legs closer to him so he can jump in, they just get like the like bare minimum distance away. Like you can kind of make this. Bond jumps from this tiny little platform onto a helicopter rudder. The facility explodes. While everything's exploding, Boris ends up making it out. Uh, he, he survives long enough to crack the code and think that he's fixed everything and stand up and scream, I am invincible! Once again, his famous catchphrase, just as a bunch of, I guess, liquid nitrogen tanks behind him explode and freeze him to death. Boris is frozen in liquid nitrogen. Which is the other great death in this movie, because he ends up just, just frozen. Flash frozen. To death. And then they drop the entire satellite disc, disc on Alec while he's still alive. So not only does Sean Bean die at the beginning of this movie, he then dies at the end with one of the craziest, most elaborate deaths in movie history. He falls, I don't know, 300 feet, you know, off this 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 ledge. He somehow survives the fall, but is just kind of laying there bleeding and broken. And then the whole base explodes and the satellite collapses on top of him pretty definitive death for alec i would say this time i mean yeah he did get shot in the head and blown up the first time so not only does he he survive an apparent shot to the face at the beginning of the movie and then and then survives the uh, explosion with a very slight scar on the side of his face he then gets the crappy out of him and then falls like 20 stories at least hits what looks like solid concrete and then is impaled by a collapsing beam as it explodes. I don't think there's ever been a villain death more final than that one. So he jumps and grabs on with his fingertips and then they just like fly off at full speed. Like no one gives him a chance to try to get into the helicopter. And then it cuts to however long later, presumably pretty far, where the pilot is letting them off um, over this like gland or whatever. And he just finally, like his arms give out and he just falls off and no one mentions it. So there they are. It ends with Bond and Natalia making out. Bond and the girl end up in a field in this one. They start making out. Like two seconds later, he's making out with the girl. Like, dude, there's no way. He would be a get off of me. I can't move my fingers. And just when you expect the credits to roll, J.W. Pepper shows up and reveals that, in fact, this is a field of Marines. Bond and Natalia escape on a chopper to a field where they start fooling around, but are interrupted by Wade, a Jimbo, and a battalion of Marines. And then um, the Americans show up. The CIA shows up and they're like, well, where's all your backup? Just the whole field is made of Marines. And then just like entire like platoon of Marines just like pop up from the ground in their ghillie suits. And that's what they were making out on top of. This is a scene that like, I remember I had this on VHS in the old days because I'm an old man. And uh, I just remember rewinding this scene over and over and over again, trying to see if I could spot any of these Marines hiding in this field. And you just can't. If you think, like if you go back to watch this and you pause it right before all those Marines stand up and you like try to figure out which bumps in the ground are marines you are almost always going to be wrong um so their makeout gets interrupted by a bunch of marines who bring in helicopters and scoop them up and apparently a bunch of huey helicopters that were just hiding right over the horizon being silent the entire time like i, I just i think this is great i love that part and i remember my mind was blown when i was like 15 and i saw this in the theaters and then the movie ends with them flying off in a helicopter with a bunch of marines and presumably they're gonna have sex in the helicopter while all the marines watch right 
I mean, it's it's a James Bond movie. They all end with him explicitly about to have sex with a woman, and he's in the helicopter with the Marines. So I guess I guess that's where they're gonna do it. But then I'm upset because it didn't end up on a boat with a girl. Okay, and that is Goldeneye. This is my favorite Bond movie uh, of all time. And that includes like Goldfinger, that includes Casino Royale. I will say as a whole, I think Brosnan does a very good job in this movie. One of the great things about Goldeneye is it manages to balance a lot of the cheesy elements from the earlier movies with sort of the more serious tone of the newer movies. Bond's one-liners make this movie. He has one for almost every scene, but honestly, his on-screen presence is great. Like, I mean, he really kind of revitalizes the character, I think. Not that Timothy Dalton wasn't capable of doing that himself. Maybe he wasn't already doing that. But this one definitely feels almost like a reboot. It's really, it's like a tonal shift. I want to say this film was about the same length as most of the other James Bond films, which seemed to feel like forever. But this one had a great pace. It was action-packed. And maybe, just maybe, it just lacked all the unnecessary sexual assault that we found in all the previous movies. Natalia was a half and half Bond girl. She wasn't just a ditz. She was like a survivor and a thinker, could handle a gun. She could act, she could fake things. But on the flip side, she still got kind of hostage-ish a few times. It wasn't as bad because she never went complete ditz, but she was still like, come on, girl, you can do better than this. I, I really like the villains. They're, you know, a little mustache twirly, I guess. They're, they're just straight evil. They don't really have any redeeming qualities. And um, I like that. You know, there's no, let's sit down and have a conversation over tea, James. It's, we'll kill you. We might not kill you when we have the opportunity to, but we'll put you in convoluted death traps that should kill you, like a Bond villain would. But again, what stood out to me was how well paced the movie was. It was short, but not too short. There's really nothing that could be cut except maybe the introspection scene on the beach towards the end. The exposition is done on site to set pieces. Uh, For example, Bond is describing something to uh, Robbie Coltrane's character in the car on the way. They don't stop and have a whole conversation. So the movie's always moving forward. But the movie still gets in some non-essential scenes, like Bond's evaluation, but he still goes to a casino. They still basically have a whole plot piece without Bond in it, that being the Serenaiva scenes. Still, the movie moves forward. It's fantastic. I distinctly remember my stepbrother Jason had a VHS box set of the first 16 movies. But this is really where it all began. I have like, I mean, it was like the right place and the right time for me as well, right? This was like a very formative, like I was at a very formative age when I saw this. So I have a lot of nostalgia for it. I had an appreciation for a lot of the early films, but to me, GoldenEye was the gold standard. And it it hits all the right buttons. This movie rocks, man. It's just so good. I, I love Goldeneye. I think this is a, like, this might be peak Pierce Brosnan, James Bond. I think that this is great. I think Pierce Brosnan is great in it. I like the plot. It's nonstop action. There's no wasted sequences, no wasted scenes. So one of the things that I recall from the previous time that I watched the Brosnan films was that I didn't like Bond's willingness to shaft the PPK. And it's not always his fault, but it's written so much just in this movie that he never has that gun. It's machine guns all the time. And there is something so, like, tasteless about it that I don't feel fits Bond. Uh, Like the sniper rifle, I think that's kind of a beautiful thing. It's like one-hit KO, um, you know, precision assassin. And then the PPK is just this, like, beautiful, tiny, but dangerous when handled in their correct hands. Um, but just to always have the machine gun, it 
it really kind of reduces the quality of the film for me, or the quality of Bond. I'm a fan of Brosnan, even if his later movies become a little weird. <coughs> Surfing. <coughs> but it was a great refresh. Like it really, they knocked it out of the park. Now, unfortunately, the next three films in the series are not anywhere near this quality. And although I liked the other Brosnan movies as they came out, probably because I was the right age for them, they were still missing something. It, it, you could argue that it is a slow decline from here on. I wouldn't necessarily, but but I think that this movie is, is very good and it's very... Um... They have some redeeming qualities in some spaces, for sure. At least some of them do. But... GoldenEye is the peak for this iteration of the character. And it's too bad that it's the first one. Like, he didn't have his Skyfall. He had his Casino Royale. Anything with Sean Bean is great. Even if he's always going to die, he's just still a great actor. See, I think the biggest problem with the, the Brosnan films is that they came out of the gate swinging so hard, and then they just never lived up to anything else from this movie. The villains are never as good. The action is never as good. Pierce Brosnan movies kind of decline in quality as they go along, but we started really strong. Uh, this was awesome. The set pieces are never as interesting, and the plot never moves as quickly. Like, Goldmine never slows down, other than the, the scene where they stare at their belly button on the island for like 15 minutes. Other than that, it's pretty quick. Bond's watching this film, and Omega was super helpful, if unrealistic. But even simple tools like the belt that had a line attached was nice. I do miss the days of the shoes being filled with like tools and the ever-present briefcase, but new, new Bond, new era. There's a lot of really cool locales throughout the movie. You got Russia, Cuba, Monte Carlo. I hated Boris. I hated him with a passion. Great acting by Alan Cummings, but the freaking character made me want to shoot at my screen with a golden gun. He was infuriating. I really do think, for the most part, this movie holds up incredibly well. And I would even go as far to say that this might be one of the best uh, Bond movies. The gadgets are good. The the fighting is good. You know, everything about this is is awesome. And I think this is the perfect Bond movie. I do think Casino Royale and Skyfall both edge it out. Fight me. But this does feel more like a classic Bond movie. But as a whole, they, I think they did a really great job. For me personally, this was the first Bond film I saw in theaters that I remember. I might have seen License to Kill in theaters, but I think I saw it on VHS. Uh, but Goldeneye, I remember very clearly seeing in theaters, and it was awesome. Unfortunately, I also saw the next two in theaters, and they were not awesome. If we're talking the movies that really stick to the formula, I think this is the best version of that. And I think it is the best Bond movie. Great plot, awesome characters, amazing villains, incredible action set pieces, gorgeous locations and one of the coolest villain bases in the entire series. It's a great example of what a Pierce Brosnan James Bond movie is. Really happy that we did this. Really loved watching it again. And yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you on the next one. James Bond will return in Tomorrow Never Dies. Podcasters Assemble Season 003 is a production of the We Can Make This Work Probably Podcast Network. Find more of our shows at probablywork.com and learn how to contribute to future episodes of Podcasters Assemble by looking us up on Twitter at Casters Assemble or joining our Discord server, link in the show notes. Submissions are always open. Thank you to everyone who was able to contribute to this episode. Be sure to check the show notes for links where you can find them all online. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Follow us on Twitter at ProbablyWork for more of our questionable content. Also, we have a website called ProbablyWork.com.
He says, shut the door, Alex. There's a draft. Alec, not Alex. My notes autocorrect out. Xenia. Xena on topper. Uh, on your top. Uh, I... Suck it, Tina. You ain't got shit on me. Yeah, so if I had to pick a favorite vehicle, the Aston Martin's cool and all, but it's tank. Tank all day. Podcasters Assemble will return in Tomorrow Never Dies. Tomorrow Never Dies. Possibly my favorite Bond movie.